This is The Camp with Zach Heilprin and the Athletics' Jesse Temple. Yes, welcome into The Camp. I'm Zach Heilprin. No Jesse Temple today. Back with me on Tuesday. We'll have a new episode leading into Big Ten Media Days, which happened Wednesday and Thursday down in Indianapolis. Plenty of content coming from there. Uh, thank you for listening. And uh, wherever you're listening to this, we appreciate you subscribing. That really helps us out. We also now have a YouTube page uh, to check out. Make sure to keep an eye out for that at uh, the Camp Podcast. Uh, we'll be placing all of our episodes up there, but also going to have a ton of content coming from Big Ten Media Days and also from practice starting next week, player interviews, practice highlights, and obviously episodes as well. So a ton of content coming. Um, that also means a lot of this face. That's not a good thing, but a lot of, a lot of good content coming for sure and, and uh, really looking forward to it. We're so close. We are so close to the beginning of the Luke Fickle era. I know everyone's been waiting for it, excited about it, and we're just so close, so close. So um, looking forward to that. Today's episode, another special one in a series on the 1993 Wisconsin Badgers, the one that made a run to the Big Ten title and Rose Bowl for the first time in 31 years. We already had an opportunity to chat with Jay Wilson from a media perspective, caught up with Barry Alvarez from a coach's perspective, so make sure to check those out. There's no time limit on them you can listen to them today you can listen to them tomorrow you can listen to them three years from now there's no there's no difference right it's it, there's no uh time sensitive stuff in those whatsoever um but really really good stuff from those two today we talk with steve malchow he's with the uh he was the former sports information director for wisconsin uh for anybody wondering what a sports information director does they are the conduit between the program and the media so essentially they're the ones that have to deal with me and uh, the rest of my brethren on a daily basis. Uh, we are very needy. We are very trying. Um, it's not an easy job to do because you have to deal with people that are very much about me. As I said, you can't spell media without me. And there's also an I in it as well. So that's that's what their job is. But back then, there weren't nearly as many people that wanted to cover the the Badgers. So I had a great time chatting with Steve about that. What he when because he showed up in 1990, the same year Barry Alvarez showed up, and uh, so he had some work to do and we had a great time trying to uh, talking with him about all of that. So here he is, Steve Malchow. Yeah, we do bring in Steve Malchow. He was Wisconsin sports information director in 1993, but he came to Wisconsin the same year as Barry Alvarez in 1990. You actually came from Iowa. Um, so you saw how a successful program was run there. They were, they were in Rolls Bowls during your time there, but just how bad a shape was Wisconsin football in when you, when you arrived in Madison with Barry in 1990? Well, I think this is a pretty easy answer. Um, ironically, our first game in 1990, we're playing Cal. Game was on ESPN. It was my first year of, you know, running the press box. I was nervous as all get out. Our budget was non-existent. And so at that time, we didn't have computerized stats. You know, we had the little books that they created that you made marks when teams made a first down but that wasn't my problem my problem was we didn't have any pencils <laughs> so on the way to the game honest to god story i stopped at, at the grocery store on the way to the game picked up a packet of pencils and went into the office and sharpened them for the stat crew that's how i started that day <laughs> we were so poor i didn't have pencils for the stat crew and we had a lot of big dreams and big goals and we got beat by Cal, which uh, was a little bit of a shock. And then several games later, we played Northwestern. They were up on us 28 to nothing in the first half. 
And I looked at my assistant, who also was a former Iowa staff member, and I said, we're really bad. <laughs> <laughs> at that time, Northwestern hadn't beaten anybody in forever. So, yeah, it's it was pretty rough sailing at the start. But um, luckily, we had a, a leader in Barry Alvarez, who was supremely confident, even as we were getting our butt kicked week after week, that we were on the right path. And I know we're going to spend some time here talking about the 93 season, but what really kind of happened was in 90, 92 is sort of when I thought it turned around. Um, two things happened that year. One of them was we played Ohio State uh, in Madison, and Barry basically at a pep rally promised the world we were going to kick their butt. And, of course, Columbus TV stations were at the pep rally, and he came off the stage and looked at me and goes, how about that? I rung him up and I said, coach, all three TV networks from Columbus were here. That's being played in Ohio right now. And he goes, good. We're <laughs> going to catch that check tomorrow. We won the game. It was our first win over a ranked team. And you're like, okay, we got a heartbeat. And then the year ended in an extremely frustrating situation. We were playing at Northwestern. Bowl bid. I mean, the bowl scouts are in the box. Question is, which one are we getting? And we lose. And it was a gut check because we should have been in the bowl, which would have been a massive marker. And we didn't game. We just lost a game we shouldn't have lost. And so going into 93, you felt like we were, you know, we were on the upswing. We were getting better. Barry was getting his culture established and the talent was getting better. Uh, so I kind of went into that year thinking we could be decent. You know, I mean, we, we can challenge for a bowl game. We just did last year and let's see if we can keep progressing and, and so that's how we started 93 with a little bit of hope, but uh, I, I don't remember a lot of people talking about the Rose Bowl <laughs> at that point. I, yeah. So I went back and there's a great tool, uh, newspapers.com where you can go back and you can search anything, right? Like if I, if I put a name in, I can find it in like 1899, if it was in a paper. Uh, so I did that for, for UW and I went back and looked what the expectations were going into that year. And a lot of the talk was Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, Illinois, Iowa, like all those teams above you guys. And the like, what kind of bowl game would you get? Certainly not going to be the Rose Bowl, probably not going to be a, uh, a uh, January one bowl game. But just for you guys, was it just simply expectations wide going in there? Just just a bowl game because you had come so close the year before, you know, without the, the Burns fumble, you guys had an opportunity to, you know, kick a field goal and, and make a right. bowl game. Would you remember like what uh, the talk was around going into that year? Well, Barry always was brimming with a lot of confidence, so I, I can't speak for what his goals were, but just my sense of where the program was and what I had seen was that we were um, we were certainly going to be competitive for a bowl game. No one was putting us with the likes of you know the the teams you mentioned there. Um, when you went to the Big Ten kickoff luncheon, nobody really cared. You know, they you're you're the afterthought. Um, I had at the time, the only two schools I'd worked at were Iowa and Wisconsin. And there's a common thread there. And it's the O-line. Good O-line play allows you to run the ball. Barry Alvarez wanted to run the ball. And I think the 93 team, I'll, I should get most of these names right, but I thought what was unique was the O-line was maturing and they were all former defensive players. Um, as I recall, the left tackle was Mike Verstegen, and he was uh, recruited as like an outside linebacker, DN. Um, left guard was Joe Rudolph, who was too slow to play linebacker, that we, which we recruited him as, but was a hell of a pulling guard. 
think the center might have been Corey Raymer, who ended up playing in the NFL, was a great player. Right guard was a guy by the name of Zois Panagiotopoulos, also known as Joe Panos. Uh, Joe was a uh, tough sucker. <laughs> um, he came from Whitewater, if I remember right, D. Lyman, tough. And uh, I think maybe uh, Steve Stark might have been on there too, but he was recruited as a D. Lyman. So it's a lot of defensive guys moving to offense. And where they may not have been good enough athletes to be defensive people, they were tough guys that were good athletes as offensive people. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, if that old line comes along, I know what we got in the backfield. Um, this has the makings of maybe being kind of formidable because Barry always wanted to run the ball, control the clock, play defense, don't turn it over, but you got to block. Yeah. And you got to run or you can't do that. Right. And I just sort of, I kind of became fascinated with O-line play, have been my whole career, because that's never changed. Yeah. I mean, you got to block people. <laughs> and so you could just feel that unit was kind of coming together. Bill Callahan was our O-line coach. Total, I mean, talk about an expert at his craft. Um, a real talent. And you could tell, I'm, it almost felt like a cult, but that cult was getting really tight. Yeah. And so that was kind of what I was pinning my hope on where most people are looking at Brent Moss and Terrell Fletcher and I'm going, can we block people? <laughs> and we obviously, could. Yeah. Obviously proved uh, that you could before we jump into the season, like f further into the season, what was it like trying to promote the program in those early days? Ooh, well, um, they were so hungry for a winner. Barry had been a big winner. So people were very excited about it. It was a new enthusiasm. I mean, it, crowd supported dwindled to nothing. Barry came in and I mean, his famous line at the press conference, you better get your tickets now. And everybody laughed at him. You know, I remember one of the guys that was covering us at the time for the local paper. I introduced myself to him cause I was new. And I said, Oh, I bet you're excited to, you know, have uh, coach Alvarez here and a, you know, a, you know, a, a, a new regime and bright future. And he goes, we'll see how, how happy you are after you start off. 0 and six. And I'm going like, Whoa, okay. <laughs> and so people were down, um, but we'd shown some progress, I think. Um, it feels to me like going into that year, um, there was like questions like, really, the quarterback's going to be this Mormon guy? He weighs like 165, you know, um, he's been on a mission. I mean, how's that? He wasn't all state last year. He was, you know, he was on a more mission, mission trip. And so that's, was a little strange you know i wouldn't say people had us locked in but they were starting to show some interest um and that i would say going into the year there was decent interest because of how close we were the year before but to me one of the pivotal games of the year was in the second week we went to dallas played smu and smu was recently off the death penalty so they could barely field a team um they were not good it was a funky atmosphere, no fans at the game. We dressed at a high school across the street and had to walk across these parking lots to get to the game. You hear the clomp, clomp, clomp of the cleats, and we played poorly in the first half. My recollection of the game was Raymer got hurt, and he was a really good center. And so we brought in Brian Patterson. We used to call him the microwave because things heated up when Patty was in the game. <laughs> um, and we came back with an improbable second half. Moss had a good second half and we won a game we shouldn't have won. And for a meddling team that, you know, you're going like, well, um, but I thought that really meant a lot because it showed some fight. And we, I, I just shudder to think what would have happened if we hadn't won that game. Yeah. 
it's, it was a really big game to come back and win for a program that hadn't proven it can win yet. And that's the hard part. When you haven't done it, it is so easy to go up. Oh, here we go again, seeing this movie. And I say that story because I, our fan base had to feel the same. Yep. I mean, the game is in Dallas. I don't remember if it was on TV. It I wasn't. It wasn't. It okay, because if the fans saw it, they would have been discouraged. <laughs> um, but the fact we came back, I guess, kept you breathing a little bit. But I, I'd be, um, I'd be lying if I didn't say that took some wind out of the sails. I think for most people, because you're just like we're supposed to be beyond this. They, they just started playing football, <laughs> and so that that was a tough one. And then ironically, I, I I just retired from Iowa State. We played Iowa State next. They weren't any good. Won the game. I don't remember it being anything special, but yeah. Shortly after that, things started rolling. <laughs> they did. You got to, they got to six and zero, all the way to six and zero, heading up to Minneapolis. Right. And uh, the Metrodome, not a great place to play football in. To be in uh, fairness, probably loud as heck that night. Uh, an yep. undefeated, undefeated Wisconsin team coming in there, and you guys played probably your worst game of the year. I mean, Daryl Bevel right. obviously played the worst game of his year. Uh, right. He set the school record for yards in a game. He also. Right. Also through five interceptions. Um, right. So, but like, so that took a little bit of, you would say, wind out of the sail a little bit, especially going into the next week, because I know in looking back through these reports, uh, you had been uh, quoted as, as talking about how many national outlets were getting yeah. ready to come into Madison for that Michigan yeah. game. And so Wisconsin loses. Michigan's not that good. They're four and three. I think they're ranked just, uh, just inside the top 25. And um, the Michigan game happens. And I, I don't think it lost it. I don't know if it lost any uh, oomph locally, but it did lose it nationally. But the Michigan game is memorable for so many different reasons. Uh, right. The game itself, right? Yeah. And then the aftermath. Right. I wanted to just touch a little bit on Minnesota, too. I'd forgotten that Bev had thrown all those picks, but we were a run team. Yeah. And our very um, good offensive line coach, Bill Callahan, was suspended that game. Um, our linemen were it was almost like a cult. Um, they were really tight with Bill. And I can't help but think that not having him available for that game really hurt us. And I didn't remember our game plan altering that much, but that's a lot of throwing for us. Yeah. And so it was a game we should have won, and, and it really kind of messed things up. But maybe maybe it happened for a reason and got, and got us regrounded again. So the Michigan game was just a you know, great game. They were ranked in the top 25. Um and we still had a lot of stake. You know, we're still trying to get to a bowl game and maybe a good bowl game. Um, but obviously the the end of the game is, you know, what I'll never forget. Learned a lot. Um, was sitting up in the press box afterwards and just kind of watching stuff happen. And all of a sudden you're realizing, you know, something really bad has happened here. And I don't need to rehash a lot of that. But my own personal story of that was I had been called across the street, the the police division was across the street at the time and they were going to give an update along with uh, health people and whatnot. And so I'd gone to that update, got the gruesome reports of 69 people critically injured, blah, 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 and, um, touch and go on so much stuff. And I came back and ESPN had called and they, they wanted someone to go on camera nationally live. Let's see. I would have been, this is 93. I would have been 30 years old. I'm still rather wet behind the ears. I've never been on ESPN. I'm talking a life and death situation. I'm probably white as a ghost. And I, they set the remote up. I'm all of a sudden on national TV and the announcer starts off with um, 
tragedy in Madison, you know, countless people killed, you know, blah, 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 blah. And I'm going like, no, countless people, no one's died. <laughs> right. There's a lot of people in bad condition and got through that um, and kind of settled things down there. And that was the aftermath, you know, how do you, how do you start playing again? And, you know, two of the people that stood out for me, Michael Brin was a walk-on wide receiver, um, actually future doctor, was very instrumental in, in, um, in resuscitating people. But two of the people I remember um, as being real leaders for getting ready to play again, and I needed spokespeople. <laughs> right. Um, and, you know, our, I guess you'd say our star player was Brent Moss, and that just wasn't his cup of tea. Panos was superb in that area. And the other guy that was really, really good for me was Joe Rudolph, really bright guy, um, really stable. And so we kind of went into the mode of how do we start talking about playing again? Because it, it just didn't feel right. We flipped the script um, PR wise. And I talked a lot about how can sports venues around the world, soccer, you know, football games learn from this near tragedy here. And we kind of took that approach more than trying to relitigate what had happened and all that. And so it just was weird getting ready for Ohio State because you're trying to resuscitate a season. You're trying to get back on track. And all there are still people in the hospital and you're getting questioned from every single angle. And there's countless media opportunities. Some you want to take advantage of. Some you don't want to take advantage of. I'd share one story because I think this is pretty cool. So I was I was in my I was in my office, and I was in there with um, Annie Bagnato of the Tribune in Chicago, Gene Wojciechowski from the LA Times, one other person from maybe out east, and we're just talking about various things, and and they were intrigued with different tales of heroism, and one of the heroes was was Mike Brin. And we knew that. And so I'm sitting there in my office and, and my secretary rings in a phone call. Steve, you need to take this call. And I get on the phone and the woman identifies herself. I don't remember her name now. And she was one that was basically dead on the scene. And she goes, my life was saved by number three. Who was number three? She goes, I've looked at the roster and there's two of them. There's a, I think Kenny Gales was one who was our starting cornerback. And Mike Brin, a never used wide receiver. And I said, oh, I said, was he African-American or white? And he goes, he was a white guy. And I said, that's Mike Brin, blah, blah, blah. And so Wojciechowski and Bag, they're, they're picking up on this. And they're like, is that the Vic? Is that the girl? And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, can we interview her? And I said, you know, I don't really even know you, but here's who's in my office right now. And they've been overhearing this conversation. And um, Zach, it was awesome. I mean, they interviewed her. A um, couple of them had tears in their eyes. I mean, they got one of those. It's just a great story. And I just was afforded the opportunity to connect those dots. So that was part of the, you know, that was a story we wanted to tell. Right. But everybody wanted answers. What are you doing? And the police are saying this. And we just were trying to get it back to have a football game, which ended up being the Ohio State game. And um I guess I would say I was proud. We played a good Ohio State team. We played them off their feet. We tied them, which when you're playing somebody in the top five like that, 
especially in lieu of what we just went through, you're going like, how did we do that? That was so cool. Um, would have been nice to win it, certainly. We're certainly capable of it. But all things considered, you just felt like um, the right thing happened and what's next? <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, that was that was the other thing. That week after Michigan, how do you – I was going to ask you about it, like what, what that week was like, and you gave a great description of what it, what it was like. Um, but the Ohio State game also drew a ton of interest nationally oh, yeah. as well, right? Um, yeah, it, I think uh, this is a quote from you that I that was in the State Journal. Um, it's been a once in a lifetime experience. I keep telling myself this is the price of success, but it's been about as hectic as you can imagine. 141 yeah. sideline passes. Usually, it was like 90 is manageable. 173 right. press box credentials was full house. Three years ago, we were one in ten, and I was begging people to cover us. This is what we've been shooting for. Yeah, that's a pretty good summary of what it felt like. You were excited because you wanted that day to happen, but you had this whole layer of what had just happened, you know, a couple of weeks ago. Um, it was really, it was very stressful. Our program hadn't been under that scrutiny before. So how much is Barry going to let me work with the players? We got a game to, you know, it yeah. was all new stuff. Probably at the time didn't realize it, but I benefited from Barry being in Notre Dame because they were in that type, you know, similar type spotlight week after week and had seen how Holtz had dealt with it. So he he was not a hard coach to work with in that regard. He trusted me to protect what I had to protect and prepare the guys, which was great. But all that stuff, when you've never done it before, there's no playbook. I mean, there's not even a playbook for when you have all the national people show up. There also wasn't a playbook, but how do you deal with a stadium crush? Right. Um, you you know where Camp Randall's still located. There is not very much parking. Zero. We keep, no on parking. Getting, we keep on getting further and further away. The media does. Uh, we, yeah. we are, we're like a mile away now. Right. So at that time, when ESPN came in to do a game, they'd go, we need 50 parking passes. And I said, okay, here's the church lot. It holds 18 cars. If you can get 18 in, great. If you can only get 16, that's what you – no, we need 50. Here's the church parking lot passes. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that piece of it. And then, like you say, it's kind of hard to tell the Boston Globe I don't have parking or the New right. York Times or Sports Illustrated. I didn't have parking. And what I remembered was um, we tried to set up some kind of a shuttle service. I want to say it might have been up to Edgewood College, sure. which is only up the road. Right. But on game day, that's not exactly a, the five-minute jaunt that it normally is. No. And I've always been told if you host an NCAA championship or anything like that, the media gets really grumpy about food <laughs> and parking. <laughs> so that shuttle had to be good. Yeah. And it's funny what the SID worries about, but my shuttle was good. We somehow survived it. But, yeah, I we got just bombarded. We weren't accustomed to that. And we did survive it, um, learned a ton, uh, talk about learning on the job. That was what we were all doing. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting that I was trying to remind myself that this is what we wanted. <laughs> Even though there were probably multiple days that week, I said, this is not what I wanted. <laughs> <laughs> it was okay playing Purdue, just trying to get to a bowl game. <laughs> right. Yeah. So uh, a few weeks later, the trip to japan um right. first before we get to japan so 
this game was going to decide whether Wisconsin went to the Rose Bowl or not for the first time in 31 years. Right. Uh, and there was a chance it wasn't going to be on TV. Um, I went back and looked, and you're quoted as saying, like, yeah, we're having discussions with ESPN. We're not sure yet because this is this is on the other side of the world. You know, this is this is in Tokyo. They have to all this stuff has to happen. Do you remember those conversations of all like as to whether it was going to be on TV? Because it kind of it's kind of crazy to think that it wouldn't be. Right. I do remember that. I remember vaguely the part about whether it was on or not. What I really remember is it's on. Yeah. And so now how do you how do you go do a nationally televised game? in a facility that no one has ever seen. So the director doesn't know where anything is camera. Are there camera platforms? <laughs> and you're dealing with people who don't speak English. <laughs> where do you start? Um, and so uh, I was concerned. It wasn't my responsibility, but I had to facilitate as best I could. Um, that part ended up going really well. And I don't really even know how. Um, I don't remember who the announcers were or the producers, but I remember having no hiccups. Um, I think Barry was really loose on that trip with just, hey, guys, we got to be flexible. You know, stuff's going to happen. Um, we're going to get stuck in traffic because that's what it is in Tokyo. And we're going to get through it. And so that's that kind of a tone for our team. And luckily, I think ESPN had that tone. I mean, a lot of times the networks come in and they're all over you. You're doing this, you're doing that. And they also knew we were in a foreign country and, you know, how are we going to pull this off? So, yes, I remember working through that. I remember trying to be as cooperative as we could with them in terms of interviews and prepping for the game. But it was, I mean, a whole thing, running the press box. I don't think we even had a press box. It seems like they put a table or something in the middle of the stands yeah. and kind of roped it off. It just was weird. I mean, you don't do a game now without stat monitors. <laughs> stat monitors? We were lucky to have stats. Right. I don't, I don't even know who did the stats. I can't remember. <laughs> I don't remember that. But all those things that you take for granted today, we had we weren't taking anything for granted. We had no idea what was going on. Um, a couple of things leading up to that game, the funny stuff. We traveled with Michigan State. Yeah. We flew on a double-decker plane. That was bizarre. Um, we didn't interact with them. The funny part of the prep was the sunglasses. Yeah. Uh, Dennis Helwig, a longtime trainer, good friend, decided that we were going to wear sunglasses in the daytime and try to stay up at night so it would get our time clocks together. Uh, Barry bought into it. I have no idea if it worked, but Barry sold it that it worked and told our team, we are so – they don't even know what time it is, and we're already – you know, all that stuff. I mean, you know, Barry finding the angle. Yeah, um, it was bizarre. Um, and I remember just flying over to the game going, we're going to end up going to a good bowl game and we're already playing late. So as I got to do my bowl game prep, I'm already a week behind. I'm not even home yet. We don't even know where we're, you know, so I'm starting to kind of panic on the bowl prep stuff. Um, the what uh, the game I remember, the funny part of the game I remember was the Japanese people had no idea what they were watching. Um, this crowd was half green, half red. I think they gave him t-shirts probably on the way in. Yeah, pom-poms, pom -poms, right? Was it? Yep. Okay. Um, that was funny. And they loved it when the ball went in the air. <laughs> so if you threw a pass, they all started cheering even before it was caught. They couldn't believe punts. They'd go crazy on punts if it was airborne. And most <laughs> punts get airborne. So uh, they were fascinated with that. We played in a thing called the Big Egg. Uh, it's a that baseball was, stadium, uh, right? Yeah, that was the stadium. 
Um, and it was real obvious early that we were playing for a Rose Bowl bid and Michigan State wasn't, <laughs> and they didn't have any interest being there. Yeah. And so it really wasn't much of a game. It was more of a kind of a celebration. Um, you just felt early. We, I felt early we were going to win. Um, and our operations guy and I are and remain good friends. And so the game ended and we were back at the hotel after whatever traffic jam we must have sat in for hours. And we were going to go out and try to get something to eat. And we were standing outside the hotel just kind of gathering our thoughts. And I would say my rep was I'm pretty flatlined. And I just like jumped into his arms and said, we're going to the freaking Rose Bowl. Can you believe this? <laughs> and I remember he looked at me and he goes, in Tokyo, Japan, we're prepping to go to the Rose Bowl. And it was just a surreal moment because obviously his life was about to get tough. I mean, we're going to our first bowl game. What's Barry going to expect? We're going to the Rose Bowl, who kind of tells you what it's going to be. Right. There's not a lot of there's not a lot of, wiggle, a lot of wiggle room there. We're already behind schedule. Oh, my God. And so... <laughs> Um, the ride home from Tokyo, I sat there with my laptop writing bios <laughs> because I was already, my deadline had passed yeah. and it was a long ride of writing bios. That was my, my work recollection on it. So that was the setup to getting there, I guess. Yeah. So you get to, you get to the Rose Bowl, right? But that week, and I was, when we talked with Jay uh, earlier uh, in the series, that entire state almost turned red. I mean, yeah. you know, the city of Los Angeles was red and then the stadium. But what is it? Do you have any? And I'm, I'm guessing you don't have didn't have anything like you're just standing around watching this. But like the, the ticket issue that yeah. popped up there with all the fans thinking they had tickets, they get right. there, they don't have tickets and they end up having to watch the game from this place, this tent outside the stadium. Right. I didn't have to intersect with a lot of that. I knew it was happening it felt surreal to me that that um ticket brokers could sell packages and not have the tickets you didn't know what the truth was you didn't know who had the you, didn't, you just didn't know and it was it wasn't affecting me but you just felt heartbroken for people who for the first time in their lifetime were going to get to go be in one of the best college football environments ever i mean at four o'clock in the afternoon when the, that plane flies over, it's cool. And they, maybe some of them life savings and things, and then get, it just was a lot of tension and stuff. Um, and the Rose Bowl did what they could to accommodate them. Um, it, it just was another emotion that you're just in a season full of ups and downs and goods and bads. And you're going like, is this the reality of being good? Gosh, being mediocre was so much easier. <laughs> well, that ended up being an outlier. I mean, you don't have ticket problems every year, but I mean, right. that crashed into it too. Now, yeah. you know, maybe that hit Pat Richter harder because you got donors that wanted to get eight and they can't even get to, you know, I'm sure there was all sorts of activity out there, but I luckily could insulate myself with the team and trying to keep Barry on message and what we're trying to do. Um, you talk about when you walk into the stadium, it was all red. It was absolute home game for us. But the other part that I wanted to mention was, again, Barry looking for the edge. We're playing UCLA. It's our choice for locker room. And they, of course, said, you know, just that's our home locker room. Let's just keep it. And Barry said, no way. 
that's our locker room. And so, of course, our guys, we went on and on about we stole the locker room and now we're going to steal the trophy too, you know, the whole thing. And yeah. it was one of those things that he would have found something else to motivate us, but we were going in to own it. We earned that and there ain't no way in heck you move your stuff out of there and in a hurry because we're coming. <laughs> <laughs> so not only do we have the home crowd advantage, we had the home locker room too. And we played that up. Yeah. And it, it was a home game. Uh, it was an amazing environment. Uh, even as a kid, I know it was an amazing environment. One of those things you'll never forget. Um, the game itself wasn't a like a great uh, picture-perfect game by any stretch. It was, you know, six turnovers by UCLA, Wisconsin, right. grinding it with, with uh, Brent Moss. But it was at the end with the five, four, you know, Wayne Cook yeah. runs. What are you doing, Wayne Cook? Um, you, I'm sure, were on the field at that time. Yeah. I'm guessing. Yep. What was your experience like when that happened? Get him down. I mean, the, <laughs> when he ran, you just you're going like, what? What? Oh no! You know, you, you don't know. I mean, you, like, a corner drops his coverage, and they had JJ Stokes, right? Wasn't that his team? Yeah. Who was a phenomenal receiver, and you're Remarkable. just going, oh my god! I mean, all day long you're going like, oh god. Um, that obviously was the one play, and then the other play, I had become good friends just because he was such a quality guy with bevel yeah and daryl was a um was a really good quarterback i mean he managed things he was steady but he couldn't run to save his mom <laughs> and the what was it 21 yard maybe something like that yeah i think it's 21 21 yard run there was actually a juke move in there he claimed yep. i think he tripped <laughs> <laughs> but it was a great run it's amazing you know, and key play and so the sack of cook and uh and the bevel run were the two outliers in the normal game which was give the ball to moss and the other part though that i think people forget about um we had a terrific receiver and leader amos yeah he was our jj stokes he was a really good player and i remember there was a fight in the second or i think it was the, it doesn't matter what quarter it was but there was a fight and lee's cousin was Marvin Goodwin who was a good safety at UCLA and they got tossed out of the game along with another UCLA player and maybe more importantly Mark Montgomery yeah who was our fullback yep and um losing Doremus hurt us because he was a game changing player but I thought losing Montgomery are like oh lord I mean we ran the ball good and we had a good old very good old line Mark Montgomery could block too and so you're just like oh this is, you know, this can't be happening. It just happened. So you're sort of playing, you know, down the stretch, just like, gosh, can we run out the clock? Can we, you know, all that stuff. And so there's just so much tension. Um, and it probably was the perfect conclusion to just a very emotional year of all these things we just talked about. Um, the game, to me, I don't remember a lot about it. That I remember them having a lot of turnovers and looking back at it, I'm wondering, how did we not win by more? Right. How do we keep it close? I mean, that would they have half dozen turnovers, five, something like Six. that? Six. And so how did we how did how do we keep close? And I don't really even remember that. I just remember JJ Stokes could score any play. <laughs> is what I felt like. That's what I thought of him as a player. Yeah. Yeah. JJ Stokes was an amazing player. And uh, he I think he had ended up with 14 catches that day and uh broke pack Richter's uh, bowl record or the Rose Bowl record uh, that he had set 31 years earlier. So he was, yeah, he was an amazing player. Um, but after the game in the locker room, I read a story uh, 
about an interaction you had with with Barry in the locker room um, in, in reference to, to Iowa. Iowa, yeah. Well, it's funny because when you started up the, uh, the tape here again, I was like, I don't have any more stories other than in the locker room. So I'm... Uh, I'm a bit player in all this. I'm the observer and the recorder. Um, I don't celebrate good. So <laughs> I was standing actually back by the bathroom <laughs> and Barry's whooping it up. I mean, he's right front as he should be. And he's a celebrator. He's a celebrator. Yeah. He loves it. And he came back and I'm kind of, I mean, I'm little and I'm standing back there and came up and gave me a big hug. And my recollection of the quote 30 years later was something along the lines of Melchie, we did something the tall Texan never could do. And I knew exactly what that meant. Hayden Fry was our coach at Iowa. That's who gave Barry his start. Barry was a high school coach and Hayden hired him kind of a similar rebuilding process. Iowa hadn't been good and Hayden turned him around, but Hayden never won the Rose bowl. And so when we won the Rose bowl, Barry's mind went right there. And there were several Iowans on the staff, you know, Bernie Wyatt and Dan McCarney, uh, John Chatham, who was my friend, the operations guy. We were all at Iowa, but for whatever reason, I was the one in front of him then. And that was a hug. I'll, I remember to this day. I mean, that was my personal moment, you know, in the celebration. And it meant a lot that, you know, Barry thought of me to come share that. Um, it was a cool moment. And, uh, it's, you know, it's funny. It's those cool moments that you remember more than even the game facts. And as an SID, I'm supposed to remember how many yards people had. And, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and I do some, but it's really more the, it's the people piece of it. And that was one of those people moments. And I was with Barry a lot of times, including games in Kinnick Stadium early on, when we couldn't quite get past them. And so I think that was the culmination of, we passed you. Yeah. And what ended up being really cool was, you know, that was the time the program had changed. And frankly, Wisconsin for the next X number of decades has by and large owned that series for two very solid programs built similarly. It's been a really good run for Bucky. Yeah. And I guess in a way, kind of that's sort of when it started a little bit that for once we knocked down a wall there and they had nothing to do with that game but barry and i were both we i mean they they were a program to model yourselves after sure. i mean how many big 10 west programs right now are saying how do we become wisconsin i mean look what they've done and that's kind of what iowa was i thought maybe yeah. barry didn't think that but i kind of did so it was a good moment and uh, it was fun yeah no uh it definitely was. I think the only thing that could have made that season better if you're a Wisconsin fan is if Iowa had been on the schedule that year. They were they yeah. were one of the teams that was not on the schedule along with with uh, Penn State. I believe it might have been one more team, but um, I mean it was only eleven teams at that point. So maybe maybe I'm wrong. Uh, they were on the schedule. That that might have been the only thing that could have made it better. But just the the '93 season and the '93 team, the '94 Rose Bowl champion. You spent another. You spent a total of 15 years at Wisconsin, so you kind of got to experience a little bit of this, but. What was the legacy of it? What did it mean for Wisconsin football? And, you know, to this day, because this, the last 30 years, I don't think right. you could really make an argument. This is the, you know, the, uh, the golden age of Wisconsin football, these last 30 years. And it started that 93 team. Right. Well, I think two things, it proved that it could be done. 
and it also set the, the blueprint as to how to do it. And what I mean by that, and I started this, it's a weird thing to say, but I like O-Lyman. <laughs> O-Lyman win games. Yeah. And no one celebrates them. No one knows how to grade them. No one knows anything other than, oh, the quarterback just got sacked. Who blew the block? And I was fortunate to work with some outstanding O-line coaches there. I never played football. I don't know squat about the O-line, but I know when, a, when you have a good one because they work together and that we could get big kids in state. Yep. And when you look to all that success that Barry had going into Bielema, Paul Chris, I mean, what's the constant? Offensive line. O-line. Yeah. I mean, every year. And they've had an unbelievable slew of running backs. But what's interesting is, it don't matter who the running back is, they all run. <laughs> and and there's good ones and great ones, and there's some that aren't as good, and yet they all are productive. And so I think not only proving you can do it, you can prove how to do it. And I thought that was – I thought – I mean, looking back on it now, I don't know that I thought that in the moment. I mean, I'm 30 years old and just trying to survive. But looking back on it now, that's sustained. And uh, the two programs I worked at prior to Iowa State, Iowa and Wisconsin – have had pretty solid success off their own line. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So that's a weird thing to say. I don't know if anybody else would come up with that angle, but um, <laughs> until you've done it, you can talk about it a lot, but you gotta, you gotta do it. And we did it. And I think we learned how to do it and kept doing it. For sure. For sure. Hey, Steve, I really appreciate your time. I've taken more than I asked for. So I apologize about that. Yeah. But it's been great uh, reminiscing with you. Oh, my pleasure. It was fun to talk about it. I had to kind of get a couple of cobwebs out and make sure I had the right team. But um, when I looked at the schedule, it all came back into focus pretty quick. And that's always good to tell stories like that. So anytime I can help you out on something historical, I'll try to reach back into the memory bank and give you a few thoughts. I really appreciate it, Steve. Maybe maybe we'll have to do one next year. We'll look back at the 1998-99, those back-to-back Rose Bowl teams. It'll be, it'll be their 25th. I guess it's the 25th this year for the yeah. 98 team, but the 25th next year. Well, maybe we'll have to catch up and do it again next year. Well, that'd be fun. I, I tend to tell a lot of Ron Dane stories. That's what people want to hear about. So You know, uh, I am his biggest supporter when it comes to his record because it is still his record, right? Yeah. And, and I, yeah. I don't care what Donnell Pumphrey says. I don't care what the NCAA says. It is Ron Dane's record. 71-25 is always going to be the record. Uh, yeah. in my mind they've really kind of blown that and i you know i, I get you can't count everybody's bowl games because you don't have the bowl games from the 50s or whatever but bottom line is if you have it how do you not count it and the guy lost gosh what probably 750 yards or a lot i mean a lot because he had three massive bowl games i think he lost and, like close uh, to 800 yeah because yeah. It was, i think his, his total is 6397 and his yeah. real total is 7125 so it's almost yeah, I think, yeah it's almost 800 yeah, yeah. But well, I, I, I can go on for days for that. Yes, exactly. Well, call <laughs> me anytime. We'll, we'll, it's fun to reminisce, and I hope the Badger fan base is doing well and they enjoy this. All right. Hey, Steve, thank you. All right, there he was, Steve Malchow, the former sports information director at Wisconsin. Awesome interview and awesome stories with him. Really do appreciate his time. So that's going to do it for the show. Again, we'll be back tomorrow with a new episode with Jesse looking ahead to Big Ten media days and perhaps a peek ahead into next week's practice as well. So until then, you've been listening to the Can